You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. So from the beginning, I do want to say to you, as has already been said, Happy New Year! I greet you on this January 3rd, uh, offering encouragement with the following words. 2021 may be worse than 2020. You will forgive my propensity, I hope, uh, to think not just big picture, but really big picture. I I wonder if historians will look back and identify 2020 as the year when our world officially passed the point of no return in its descent into a new dark age. How ironic if that is the case, that it would come at the apex of technology. Technology's highest achievements, highest point, and yet here we go into a new dark age. In the mid-20th century, C.S. Lewis predicted that technology would sustain us for a bit, but ultimately, the right to happiness for all individuals will destroy our form of civilization. Because we absolutely must have it our way. My son, Michael, and I have been reading together in Carl Truman's analysis of our current cultural State delineated in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Cultural amnesia, expressive individualism, and the road to sexual revolution. Really, it's not fair to say that we're reading along together. He is nearly finished and I am about a third of the way through. But it is our shared reflections that have led me to preach a series of messages this month Title: Time to Decide, Jesus or Self. <clears throat> we do not have to succumb to the spirit of the age. Choosing Jesus will surely give us the deepest joy and peace possible, but it's not going to be an easy choice. And although we make that choice one time at salvation, It's a choice that has to be renewed and affirmed all the time. Not to keep our salvation. But if we're going to follow close to Jesus, the world is going to be putting up a fight. Our inner self is going to be putting up a fight. And it is going to be a battle. So this series this month. After this series, we'll get back into the Gospel of John where we'll find ourselves on the home stretch in the fourth gospel. Now, please do not think this series is um, <clears throat> a, a title looking for a text to justify its existence, but rather know that the scripture speaks to our age just as it speaks to all ages. It, and, and look, we didn't plan this before. Jeff may have been thinking about it in his heart and mind as he, he prepared the, the, the prayer time for for church membership, the focus of church membership. But it is exactly, it is exactly the word we need to hear in, in this context. It's time to quit playing around and it's time to quit trying to hedge your bets and maybe I'll just sort of be in the church and sort of not. 
Imagine, just for a moment, that you're at the epicenter of an earthquake. Who, who has been in a, in a real serious earthquake? Anybody? David Calvert and I, one day, were at my house. We were talking, oh, I don't know how many years ago. This was, what, eight, ten years ago? And he was sitting on a bar stool that I used to have there, right at the, the kitchen bar. And he said, did you feel that? And I was standing up, and I said, no, what? He said, the, the ground shook. The, I, I felt the floor sh shake. And we ran outside, and, and I was so disappointed because I hadn't felt it. But he had, you know, sitting down. But just imagine that you're right at the very epicenter of an earthquake, and you hear this rumbling, and you look down, and there's a small crack between your legs. Right in, you're straddling this crack, and it starts to widen into a chasm. And at such a moment as that, you wish for one thing, long legs. No, that's not, that's not what you're, you're hoping that you're going to be able to jump to one side or the other. Because you can't stay where you are, or you're going down. 2020 was the year in which the fissures in the ground beneath us broke open and revealed the instability of those with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. It's not sustainable. We cannot stay there. You know how long we've been there? Well over 200 years in this country. We can't stay there anymore. It's got to be one or the other. How long has the world told you that everything is about you? That only by listening to the voice inside of you will you truly be able to live? Been hearing that for a while. Jesus calls for a radically different existence. Die to yourself, live for me. Because in so doing, you will find real Life. It is not a new message, but it is time to decide. The first stop in this January series is Jesus' call for us to lay down our burdens and find rest in Him. And what, find rest in Him, and what a beautiful way to start. The text for today is Matthew 11 25 through 30. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. <clears throat> All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. Now I'm going to guess that when I posted on Faith Life this past Friday that I would be preaching from uh, Matthew 11, 25 to 30. A lot of you immediately thought about 
Dane Ortland's uh, excellent and popular book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. By beginning in verse 25 of Matthew 11, we find a little bit of context for verses 28 to 30. But I'm going to share a little bit more context. That's the reason that I had asked you to start in chapter 11 and go at least through verse 21 in chapter 12. Read ahead of time to get a little bit of the context. If you're not connected, by the way, to Faith Life, which serves as our church bulletin board, then talk with Jeff Kelly or Ricky Lee when he wheels back in on his wheel, on, on his scooter, he's had foot surgery along with my wife, Allison. It seems to be the, all the rage uh, over the holidays. Uh, but, but talk to either Jeff or Ricky about getting on Faith Life, and they will get you connected. At the beginning of Matthew 11, we find John the Baptist in prison. And this makes no sense at all when you think about John's early ministry. The kingdom of God was just not working out the way that John had anticipated. He expected Jesus to not only become the leader of the religious leaders of the nation, but as the Messiah to throw off the yoke of Roman rule from the nation. And yet, John was in prison as a part of that dual Jewish-Roman system or Roman-Jewish system in that order. So John sent messengers to ask if Jesus was truly the Messiah. Are you the one we've been looking for? Or should we look for another who can actually get the job done? Rather than rebuking John, Jesus affirmed him. And think about this. Right at the moment when John the Baptist made his worst remarks about Jesus, Jesus made his best remarks about John. So Jesus used this incident to say that those who rejected John's ministry wouldn't be satisfied with anything. John had a very rigid uh, standard that he expected the people live up to, a conservative ministry. Jesus' ministry focused more on relationship than ritual, and yet people didn't accept either one. They had their own ideas about God and his ways, and they had scripture to justify their position. In John eleven twenty to 24, Jesus spoke of the day of judgment, which would go much differently than they anticipated. Then in verse 25, Jesus began to pray publicly. He started to pray out loud, and his focus was not only to God, but he was thinking about all those who were around him. When we get to the Gospel of John, after a week or Two of review, we will come to one of the great chapters in the Bible, John 17. I love that chapter. And we're going to observe Jesus pray to his fathers, partially for the instruction of his disciples who were standing all around. This prayer in Matthew 11 has very much the same feel. Jesus is praying, and he's praying to the Father, but he's praying for the benefit of those who are hearing him. And so, by the way, if you are ever called to pray... Uh, lead in our prayer focus. If you're ever asked to pray for any reason, you know that you're going to be praying in a service, write your prayer out. That's a good thing to do. Think about not only your comments to the Lord, but also your comments to others. 
You know, when I used to walk a lot when I was at camp, and my son Michael, who I was referencing a while ago, would walk with me. And one day I said, I love to pray when, when I'm walking. You want to pray? And I started finding out all of the weaknesses of the other staff children as Michael was praying. Lord, help this one with this thing and help this one with the other. I, that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. But it's really a little bit of the kind of prayer Jesus was offering here. So... <clears throat> At the, at, at the time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now, now what is the first thing you see in these verses? I can tell you what the first thing a lot of people see in these verses. The innocence of children. We've all been affected by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who told us that we come into this world beautiful and innocent, and only as society gets involved with this do we get messed up. It's society's fault for our problems. It's a huge part of why we are where we are today, because we bought into that idea. So some people think about the innocence of children, and others of you think about election, the doctrine of election. Innocence of children is being free from sin is not in this text. Election is in this text, but it's not the first thing. You ought to see. Remember, context, context, context. I can assure you that the first thought that came to the mind of Jesus' opponents was his claim to deity. The Father knows the Son. We sang about it so beautifully. Three in one. The Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. Jesus made his bold claim in verse 27 in context of the people's unbelief, which would lead to the judgment that Jesus had prophesied in verses 20 to 24. One of the things that I've asked in the home group questions for this week, uh, and I'll say to you, if you're in case you're not in home group this week, is it not surprising how often we have heard day of judgment, day of wrath, day of the Lord in these texts that I have chosen with not the slightest intention to bring that into it, but it's all around us. It's all over Scripture. Why do you think we are so surprised by that? Well, that's, that is a home group conversation. The disciples were almost certainly discouraged at this point because the great crowds, the huge crowds that had come to follow Jesus early in his ministry were dwindling. They were, they were sort of melting away. And Jesus said to his disciples in his prayer in so many words, do not worry, this is all according to God's plan. D.A. Carson's comments about this text may be helpful as you process the truth of these verses in the greater context of chapters 11 and 12 in Matthew's gospel. It may be helpful or it may have you going, uh, like this afterwards. Let's see what... Mr. Carson has to say, we must not think 
God's concealing and revealing are symmetrical activities arbitrarily exercised toward neutral human beings who are both innocent and helpless in the face of the divine decree. In other words, here's God in heaven. We're down here just innocent as we can be, and God's got a daisy. I love him. I love him not. I love her. I love her not. He's, you know, he's just choosing some. And I'll take you. I'll take. I won't take you. That's not the way God functions. Thus, or God is dealing, I'm sorry, right in the middle. God is dealing with a race of sinners whom he owes nothing. Thus, to conceal these things is not an act of injustice, but of judgment. So when you say, it's not fair that people don't get to choose. No, look, we've all chosen sin. We have all chosen sin. And it's not an act of injustice, but of judgment. The very judgment that John the Baptist was looking for and failed to find in Jesus. John's like, what? Come on, Jesus. You're supposed to be crushing the enemy. And Jesus had told John, just, just trust me. Just trust me. It'll happen in its time. But right now, I'm extending and offering rest to all who will come. God owes us nothing and reveals himself to whom he will. And then in verses 28 to 30, Jesus offers salvation rest to everyone who will come to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was speaking to people who had lived their entire lives, hoping that they could be good enough for long enough to go to heaven. Jesus told them they would find rest if they traded that yoke, that slavery of the law of trying to be good enough, keep the law, for the yoke of learning about him. Because when you come to the scripture knowing that it's about Jesus, you're going to find him in all the things that you need to know for life in Christ which extends throughout eternity. When Jesus offered rest, he was quoting Jeremiah 6.16. Once again, Jeff has already made the fact, made mention of the fact, this is all a rest that has been promised all along, an eschatological rest, if you will. Now, when, when Jesus or the apostles quoted an Old Testament verse or a passage, they expected those who heard that verse to know the context of the Old Testament, and that impacted the meaning of what was being said when Jesus spoke or when the apostles wrote. So it would be a good idea for us to look at Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is and walk in it. What What do you think the ancient paths are? What do you think the good ways? It's this. The word. 
and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Through Jeremiah, God called the people to take instructions from God's word. Not their own feelings about what's right and wrong. Not to be like the nations around them. But to take their word and to take their instruction from God. We know that the rest he promised was not only for this life. But for eternity as well. Because Jesus declared himself to be Lord of the Sabbath in Matthew 12. Immediately after the passage that we're looking at today. Lord of the Sabbath. Now we go to Hebrews where he talks about Jesus being the Sabbath rest. All the promises of the Old Testament. The Sabbath, the land, the the, 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 the feast, it was all sacrifices, they're all fulfilled in Jesus. No wonder he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus' offer of rest was a call to salvation. It was the, a call to believe him as the only savior of the world. But it was also encouragement for the disciples and for us. When we trust Jesus for salvation, the impulse to please God by doing good things. Hey, look at me, God. Are you happy with that? It never goes away, does it? It is true that we ought to desire to please God. And ironically, Jesus' standard for us in the life that we are living as his followers is far higher than the Mosaic law. It's all about motive. Motives as well and motivations as well as actual actions or, 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 or the restraint from actions that we know are sinful. But Jesus provides rest for his disciples as they learn about the gentle Savior. We find forgiveness in him because of who he is. And we receive power from Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help us live according to God the Father's plan. So in this new year, with the challenges of our world, uh, that our world is facing, and, and with the specific challenges that the church is facing, here are a few burdens to lay down at Jesus' feet. First, the burden of living up to unrealistic expectations, whether your own expectations or the expectations of others. Perhaps limiting, or can you believe I'm even going to suggest it, even leaving social media would help? Also, lay down the burden of being good enough to please God. Is following Jesus about Doing or about what he has already done for us? You know the answer. Jesus died to take our punishment so that when we repent of our sins and we trust his death as payment for our sins, we have life in him. And it, and it, and it becomes about relationship. Not about being good enough, but about relationship, not religion. Next, the burden of knowing exactly what to do about masks and any other number of contemporary issues. 
what it looked like on my screen is not exactly what it looks like on this screen. So, um, Wouldn't that be a relief to lay this burden down? Of being so certain about everything? When is the last time you heard in a public discussion someone on the issues of the day say, you know, I just, I'm not sure about that. We're so certain about everything. That's a burden we ought not to have to bear. Next, the burden of taking the right position on every social justice issue when the standard that must be met to be accepted by the culture is constantly moving, it's better to lay that burden at the foot of the cross. Last, the burden of fixing someone else or of fixing society. Do not raise your hand, but how many of you are fixers? Most of us, probably, and some of our neuroses are cultural. The best way to fix others is to love them, although that may look different every time. Changing someone else, changing yourself, for goodness sake, but especially changing someone else is a burden you can't bear. Lay it down. So what do we we receive when we lay our burdens at Jesus' feet? We are given and blessed with rest. Rest in Jesus. What does this look like? First, it is rest from the fear of God's judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. We could stop here, but we need more than that. So there is also rest from the fear of disappointing Jesus, he knows our weaknesses, so he boldly yet tenderly intercedes for us. He has been like us. He knows in every point, every temptation that we face, in some form, he has faced that. And he knows what our weaknesses are, and he he comes to the Father and tenderly prays for us, laying this burden down enables us to rest from the condemnation of the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? Next, it's rest from the need to always be right. Now, I threw this in for the rest of you. Uh, This is not my issue, not my problem. Uh, it's, It's all of our problems, isn't it? We all need rest from this awful burden. But when you play the world's game, you have to play by its rules. And you always have to be right. You always have to take. Get off that. Get off that train. Rest in Jesus. Next, rest from self-condemnation when you sin. Or exercise poor judgment. Wow, that's written almost like it's expected that we're going to sin or uh, exercise poor judgment, right? 
We are. We're all going to. I, I remember hearing in my early years as a believer, to be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. That's a, that's a good and helpful word. And I know discipline, I, yes, it's that time of year where we all re, redouble our efforts to, to do the right things, and it's a good thing to do. But ultimately, it's in Jesus. And if we are constantly disappointed with ourselves, then we're, we've got a law of mentality. Finally. Rest in the word with the gentle and humble Jesus. Becoming more like him as you learn from the word. You know, we, we quickly move along the wrong paths. When we use scripture to confirm our thoughts and, and or to justify our actions. If you go to scripture just saying, uh-huh. See there? I'll see your verse in Matthew and I'll give you, I'll raise you in John. Go to the word to meet the gentle and lowly Jesus. For in so doing, you will be responding to Jesus' invitation to come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. And you may be thinking, all of that is nice, it's good and well, but I just don't know how to rest in Jesus. I cannot seem to get it right. But you are not called to rest in yourself or to always get it right. You're invited to come to Jesus and find rest for your souls. We'll close with wisdom from Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Quote, God's heart of compassion confounds our intuitive predilections about how he loves to respond to his people. If they would but dump in his laugh the lap the ruin and wreckage of their lives. Because see, we have certain, we know what would happen. I know what I would do if Jeremy Pittman came and dumped his stuff on me, or what Jeremy would do if I came and dumped my mess on him. We, we have an idea about how we would respond, but as Ortland says, he isn't like you. Even the most intense of human love is but the faintest echo of heaven's cascading abundance. That being for God's children and God's children being those who rest in Jesus. His heartful thoughts for you outstrip what you can conceive. He intends to restore you into the radiant resplendence for which you were created. And that is not dependent on you keeping yourself clean. But on you taking your mess to him. He doesn't limit himself to working with the unspoiled parts of us that remain after a lifetime of sinning. His power runs so deep that he is able to redeem the very worst parts of our past into the most radiant parts of our future. But we need to take those miseries to him.
Amen. That is a good place to prepare our hearts to come together, brothers and sisters, sisters, to the Lord's table. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this good and powerful word from Jesus to our hearts this morning from Matthew 11. Lord, as we prepare to come to the table and acknowledge, recall, embrace, participate in the suffering of Jesus in whatever way that means, then we ask that you would cause us to first of all reflect and confess the sins that we need to, but to do it with the love and joy and peace that comes with resting in Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.